and what I've done over the last seven years, I guess, is I don't feel like I'm fighting myself anymore. I don't feel like I'm fighting myself to kind of be what I think everybody wants me to be and then putting the rest of me back because there's shame or that's not right or whatever. And that ease of like just being able to go, this is me. And, And I show up pretty much the same everywhere, you know, whether I'm talking to my mates or whether I'm talking to a CEO or I'm standing up on stage, it's I'm, I'm me and I, and I don't have to be scared. And that has been probably the most liberating thing about the process that I've been on in the last few years. You're burnt out or well on your way there. You're in a constant state of efforting, hustling, and wanting. And frankly, it's exhausting. I'm Dr. Mandy Leto, a self-described recovering overachiever, and I get it. These are the conversations to help you navigate your own self-discovery. Here, you are brave, imperfect, and whole just as you are. Because enough isn't somewhere you get to, a finish line, a title, a state of grace. It's something you choose. Nobody is coming to save you. The beautiful thing is, you get to save yourself, and I'm walking this journey with you. It's time to be more while doing less. Welcome to Enough. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are in for a treat today, dear listener, because it's not every day that I can say I have a professional clown rocking the other mic. And today I do. Emma Stroud is having a conversation with us. She is, in addition to being a professional clown, she's an improviser, she's an MC, she's a speaker, she's done a TEDx talk in a banana suit, not even kidding. She's a coach, she's also one of my coaches, she's a mom, and she is the head clown at Clowning Around Podcast. Today, we have an important conversation around how we integrate all of those parts of ourselves that nobody claps for. She talks about how we bring, for example, our angry self onto the bus, more on that later, And we start off talking a little bit about my journey, and then Emma takes us to a very vulnerable place where she felt most disassociated from herself and how she used lightness, levity, and play to get herself back into a place of integration and wholeness. Grab your cuppa. I will be right back with Emma Stroud. Emma Stroud, I am so excited to to share you with all the listeners today. Thank you for being with us to play. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to talk about your journey to enough. And I think there's a lot of universal themes in many of our journeys coming back to ourselves. And one thing that I certainly experienced is when I thought I wasn't enough, and I still periodically think that, but I think it's, you know, course correction in the moment. But it's so easy to look outside of ourselves. That's what I did. I thought, okay, I'm going to see what other people find acceptable and then adjust myself to that so that I'll fit in. I won't be disapproved of. 
was almost like I needed to see what the bar for value was by looking outside and then adjusting myself to that. And after years and years and years, as I started to go through this process of really coming back to myself, I realized that I didn't actually know who I was because I was so easily adjusting myself to other people and what was acceptable and what they seemed to value that I didn't actually really know who I was on the inside. And I'm just wondering if that resonates with you. It's, it's a massively important part, I think, of my journey. And I think you're so right. I think that, that sort of seeking stuff from outside and kind of sort of living in, a, living in a world where outwardly everything looks like it's fine, but inwardly I haven't got a clue who the hell I am and stuff. And actually the, the allowing of everything to sort of stop and the allowing of things to really sort of crumble in my case and get to a place where I realized I really didn't know who I was, was probably the start, not probably, it was the start of my journey where I could go, actually, this is, this is who M is and I am enough. And, and I'm actually really grateful that I allowed myself to get to that place. You know, obviously not at the time it was miserable and horrible, but I think it is really important that, that we do ask ourselves these questions and we don't just always seek what's going on on the outside because that is exactly what it is. It's the outside. It's the stuff you can't control. Whoa, we got deep really quick. <laughs> we got deep really quick. <laughs> I've, uh, I just, let's lighten things up really fast because right before this episode, I ate a big spoonful of peanut butter, crunchy peanut butter. I mean, school galera. For, for, <laughs> for someone, you know, for someone that's doing a podcast, I know, let's eat something really clunky that coats the inside of my throat. It's like the equivalent of having coffee and then some cheese. And then, oh, I know, let's add in some peanut butter as well. <laughs> So I'm listening to you here and I'm just feeling my the inside of my throat feels like it's got a big shag carpet around it. Was it crunchy it. or smooth? It was crunchy. So that Oh, was I mean, so you didn't even, you know, you've even got the bits which sometimes get, do you ever get that where it gets like stuck at the back of your throat and you're like, oh, and there's a bit of crunchiness and you're like, oh, didn't know yeah. if I needed that. Yeah. And also on my molars, which is like maybe too much info, but That's we're good. keeping it real here on the podcast. Keeping it real. Keeping it real. So this idea of of seeking validation and fitting in this, we invent words here, fitting in this from the outside in. So I'm glad that resonates. I think this is my experience talking to so many people who are on this journey of really getting back into their power, but it's messy, it's non-linear. So if we imagine you, when you were most lost to yourself, if you think back in time, where you felt most disassociated with who you were, your values, your worth. Can you take us back to that time and tell us about that? There's probably been a couple, but the one that really stands out was, where are we now? We're in 2021. William, who's my son, he's now nearly nine, which is scary. So it was probably about eight years ago. And I think at that point, I think I thought I'd done the work so I was like, I thought I was okay. I thought I was, you know, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to do this. And I've got a child now because that wasn't on my sort of, my, my younger M would never have expected me to have a kid. And a combination of so many different factors, you know, you know, you talk about a perfect storm about things. And, and I found myself deeply, deeply in a place where I was so ready to no longer live. And I was so ready to just kind of, 
yeah, just not exist because everything had moved so far away from what I thought living was. And I didn't know who I was. And so as a result, my thought processes started to get really skewed. And I was just like, shit, you know, this is, this is not, there isn't any point. And so I think the time where I really just was like so disassociated from myself and my truth and that power that you just talked about and my purpose was, yeah, seven, eight years ago where I found myself standing on a train station, you know, the sort of the cliche. And the ironic thing now is I look back on it, it's like to think that that was the way that I was going to choose to kill myself was also the completely nuts thing because it wasn't a way that I now as a grown adult would think of doing. And I just remember standing there and just going, yeah, and I could just step forward and then this is gone. And, and then I've gone. And then something, a combination of, who knows what, higher power, seeing the Samaritan sign, thinking about my son, all of those combined things just meant that I just took that step back. And I remember breathing and I just remember going, nah, that's, that's not it. That's, this is not where this, this is not where my path goes. And I think at that moment, I think that was the start of me working out and reclaiming who I wanted to be. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really powerful. And I know so many of us have had a moment where all the possibilities just disappear and everything becomes so muddled and clear at the same time that, you know, I don't want to be alive anymore and I can't see a way out of this. And whatever serendipitous thing pulled you back from the edge, literally in this case, and helped you in a few few minutes to have a sliding doors moment before you got into the train and regroup and bring yourself to a place where you started a different journey. What I really like about what you said too is you had spent years already doing the work. It's not that you were new to this process. And this is just more evidence that the work is an ongoing thing. It's not some, it's not a one and done for sure. No, no, it's, it's, I mean, sometimes I really wish it was. It was like, hi, I've been for five sessions of therapy. I am now fixed. And strangely enough, it doesn't seem to be that, you know, it's, yeah. And and that's, but that now is the thing that I, I find genuinely sort of magical. Whereas at that point, it was so far from magic. You know, it was so far from being, from me wanting to kind of be curious and be brave and be open. It was everything had just kind of, you know, fallen to that place, you know. Mm. So this idea of coming back to our enoughness, because we've always been enough. It's just we can't see it because we're possibly holding ourselves up to ah, peanut butter going on. We're possibly holding on to an image of who we think we're supposed to be. And it's almost impossible to hold ourselves up to that standard. And I wonder for you, certainly for me in my own journey of coming back to myself with so much self-compassion and lightness and levity and leaving space for magic and all of that, that messy process of the ongoing work. Part of that for me, and I'm, I'm sharing for me because I'm really asking this for you too, was reclaiming all those parts of myself, all those aspects of myself that nobody clapped for, that were not very popular, that were maybe weird or quirky or things that I didn't show in public because I thought it would mean I'd be 
pointed at, laughed at, shunned, you know, that people wouldn't want to be my friend or, you know, have anything to do with me. So this is really, at least for me, the journey to enough meant reclaiming all of those things that I had tried so hard to disassociate myself from and only be this one, now in hindsight, like rather dull version of like this perfect self who always was well turned out, who had something clever and witty to say, who didn't have peanut butter stuck in her throat or anything else. Like she was really on point all the time, which of course is unidimensional and dull, but when you're in it, it's really hard to experience that. So for me, was this healing process was reclaiming and changing my relationship with all of these parts of myself that I had tried to orphan off. What was your healing process like? So how did you get from feeling those feels on a platform as the train whizzed by, pulling yourself back to being who you are now? Talk us through that. Well, it's it's certainly been messy. <laughs> and there's definitely been times where on my, for want of a better description, healing journey, that I've been like, don't want to do this anymore. I want to stop. Don't want to heal anymore. Bored. You know, there's definitely been times where I've been like, no, nope, don't want to do it. No, nope, don't want to do it. But I think as like a stroppy you, five-year-old. Literally like, is my stroppy five-year-old. I mean, let's let's not face it. It's not, it's not like one. It is my strop. Nope, not doing it. Nope, don't want to do it. And and one of the things that I've learned, so years and years ago, I trained as a hypnotherapist. And I think people are really aware that, you know, we all have different parts of ourselves, right? And, you know, you have different parts that show up at various points of our lives. And some of, as you said, some bits that you like, some bits that you try and hide. And, and sometimes we think we've got to put this adult perfect bit. And something that's always really stayed with me, and I think it's the easiest way of kind of describing my journey, is that there's an adult you, that there's an adult M that is driving the bus most of the time. And there were all these other parts of me that for whatever reason, I'd either not paid attention to or tried to push back. And they were still sitting in my bus because they're all still part of me. And there were parts of me of various different ages where for whatever reason, I as adult was like, don't like that bit of me, don't want that part of me, or I'm ashamed, or I feel guilty about having that part of me, or that's the angry part of me. And I don't really like anger because I'm all about fun. And it's like all of those different parts. And what I realized during lots of different kind of work on myself, some by myself, some with professionals, all of that stuff was actually all of those parts deserve some airtime and they all deserve adult to kind of put an arm around and to kind of hold them and kind of go, it's all right. And I hear you and you're safe. And when you kind of start doing that, and it's terrifying. And because, you know, quite often parts of you don't even want to be out because they're really scared. You know, I, I grew up and had what I guess some people might say is a fairly traumatic childhood. And so when you've had sort of elements of trauma, And it doesn't matter, you know, we've all had experiences that we've liked and not liked so much and they have an impact on us. And for me, the the key thing was allowing myself to have the time to spend on each of those parts of me so that now when I stand up and, and I'm me, it's like I'm no longer afraid of those parts of me being the ones that are sitting up on the passenger seat with me or sometimes in some occasions driving the bus because actually I know that I've I've got to know them and I'm not scared of them. And as a result of that, a lot of my, and it's about adult M changing my relationship with them. 
because it's actually about me as the adult now, as the 42-year-old woman kind of going, it's all right, you don't have to be a scared 15-year-old anymore. You don't have to be a scared 20-year-old anymore. And as I've done that, and I've kind of gone back and got to understand each of those different parts that make up me, actually, it's a lot more fun to drive the bus. And actually, what I've noticed, they're still there, but actually, they're all quite happy now, and they're playing their little games, or they're doing whatever they want to do. Singing songs. Singing songs. Doing all this. Yeah, doing that. (laughs) Eating peanut butter at inappropriate times. (laughs) All of that kind of stuff. And And there's something really... And, you know, and it's still a work in process, you know, as you said, you know, it, there's still certain moments where I show up and, or I find myself in a headspace and I'm like, oh shit, you know, should I have done that? And, and then I just, it, but what it's done over the last, and what I've done over the last seven years, I guess, is I don't feel like I'm fighting myself anymore. I don't feel like I'm fighting myself to kind of be what I think everybody wants me to be and then putting the rest of me back because there's shame or I, that's not right or whatever. And that ease of like just being able to go, this is me. And and I show up pretty much the same everywhere, you know, whether I'm talking to my mates or whether I'm talking to a CEO or I'm standing up on stage. It's I'm I'm me and I and I don't have to be scared. And that has been probably the most liberating thing about the process that I've been on in the last few years. One of the things that I really like and admire of, about you is exactly what you've articulated here. When you're in alignment and in integrity with who you are, it allows this, you know, this buzzword that is almost overused these days about authenticity, because you can be you and you'll put your funky trainers and your hoodie, whether you're talking to a CEO or as you said, who, you know, whether you're out at the pub with your mates, there's something about the trueness of you that can shine through, which we all love to be at the receiving end of that. When we spend time with someone who's really in their power, in their authenticity, in their integrity, it also empowers us to do the same thing. And I think this is why we love spending time with people who have kind of come back to themselves and who have done and keep doing the work. This this is an ongoing thing. I want to go back to your bus because for somebody who's new to this and they're like, I don't get the bus bit and I completely understand (laughs) what you mean. But if we, if we get a bit more specific for somebody who is learning about these different aspects of themselves and yes, okay, it's the adult Mandy and the adult M who are usually driving the party wagon that is the bus of ourselves, the entirety of ourselves. And I wonder if that's actually what enough is, is you're singing campfires not necessarily all on the same tune or some might be playing video games, but you're all together and you're moving forward together on some kind of a journey. I wonder if that right there is the journey to enough, but could you be more specific when you say there's these parts of you? Cause you mentioned like the angry you, but for somebody who has no idea what we're talking about here, mm-hmm. can you make that real? Yeah, I think it's, it's like, there are certain moments, right? Where I think we can all shock ourselves where suddenly we do something that's slightly out of character or somebody really pushes our button in a way. It could be something really simple, such as this is one thing that really that really gets me is when somebody doesn't say thank you if I've held the door open for them. Don't know why this other part of me literally appears and goes, you're welcome. And I suddenly turned into that passive aggressive, aggressive British person. And I reflect on that and I'm like, what is that bit of me? And it is 
a bit of me that values, in that case, manners and just that real respect of kindness that somebody else shows you. And so I think if you're listening to this or watching this and kind of like, huh, don't get it, it's almost like if you see yourself as just one person, then actually what you're not doing is you're not allowing yourself to see all the complexity of what makes up that one person. And the adult you is the person that you have formed. You know, when you were 12, you wouldn't have known who you were going to be as an adult. But there are parts of you that when you were 12, you made decisions about the world, which will still impact how you choose to drive the bus. So some people, for example, you know, they've they've decided they've got to be very successful and drive the bus very fast because they've got to get to the destination the next bit and we're not going to stop anywhere along the journey. Go! But actually behind, if you just gave yourself that moment, there's like, oh, there was, at what point did you make that decision? And that point, I believe, is kind of that part of us that would be sitting, that would be driving you, kind of going, must carry on driving, must must achieve, must be successful, must move really quickly. And actually, for me, it's that allowing yourself to really spend a bit of time going, what's a part of you that you really love? And asking that question and allowing yourself to go, actually, the part of me that I really love is the fact that I'm deeply kind to people, or whatever it might be. What's a part of you that kind of slightly winds you up? And that could be, actually, I can be really impatient with my husband, my partner, fill in the gap. And as soon as you start asking yourself that question, what parts of me do I like? What parts of me do I not like? Then suddenly before you know it, you've got a whole loads of different of you in your bus. Now for me, a lot of my parts, and I think probably why I ended up being suicidal was because I had disassociated from a lot of my younger self because of the trauma that I lived through. And so it's a very well-known in sort of psychiatric and all psychiatric and psychology sort of things is that we can quite often, we freeze at certain moments. It's sort of a fight and flight type reaction. But all of us, even if you haven't had trauma, we all have moments where we make decisions about who we're going to be, how we're going to show up. And at those moments, we form part of our identity. And so it's just really, I guess the bus is just about, on a really simple level, it's just about thinking which bits of you do you like? And then they kind of sit behind you. And then which bits of you do not like? Why do you not like? And I always love this. It's like the bit of you that you don't like is always a gift in one way. But you have to be brave to look at it and go, oh, the reason I get impatient with my husband is because of X. And then you can understand it. That help? Make sense? Yeah, it completely makes sense. So when I think about it, there's that impatient part of myself that I don't like. And that Mm -hmm. makes me feel like I'm not driving the bus fast enough. And that, you know, I can then, they're all interconnected. Yeah, of course. There's such utility in actually exploring who are the passengers and inviting them into the bus instead of renting a U-Haul and putting all of those shameful, uncomfortable, like the anger part of me. I have real challenging, that has been and is an ongoing struggle for me is to integrate the angry Mandy. Yeah. It's also quite hard to say, <laughs> angry Mandy. <laughs> I just I was like, well done there. That's good, angry Mandy. Like angry M, that's easy. But angry Mandy, you know, is actually quite hard to say. <laughs> because she's not acceptable, right? She clashes with some of the parts of myself that I like. And is that also what your experience has been, that those parts that you've wanted to, you know, either put a blanket over them or you want to get a a cart that you put on the back of the bus that they're there, but they're kind of not there. They're, they're in that they're at odds with the parts of yourself that you really do like. And therefore it's this cognitive dissonance between the two. 
hugely. And that was, I think, honestly, that's one of the things that I, it could be a, you know, a real battle with myself because internally, you know, I had so much, so much of my anger was aimed at me. It wasn't aimed at the world. It wasn't aimed at anybody else. So this angry part of me was, you know, was just angry about choices and about who I was and who I am and, you know, all these things that happened. And, and I'd be like, huh, it doesn't make sense. And I'd like, go away. And that was the challenge because I was so scared about looking at this bit of me that I didn't understand. And actually the gift of allowing oneself some space to really think about this stuff is suddenly you go, okay, right. Why does it scare me so much? And it scares me because it's uncomfortable and I don't like feeling the feels and I wasn't taught and I wasn't taught that anger is a really important emotion and human and allowed and a voice that is allowed. And it doesn't mean that when you become angry that everyone's going to hate you and disappear and stop loving you which was how I made the decision when I was, I don't know, 12, 13. If I get angry, everybody else will die. And it's sort of, so I made that decision. And now looking at that, then was like, oh, that's why that, oh, okay. So that bit of me that I'm really scared of is actually really scared itself. So therefore I need to just give it some light and some love and some care and some attention. And that can be hard, right? Well, it sounds like such a strange concept as well. Like, it's not like you write that in your to-do list, or maybe you do. I don't know, like, give love to angry part of self today at one o'clock. It's so, <laughs> yeah, how- <laughs> it. <laughs> angry time. So it's like you've got play time, and then you've got angry time. <laughs> now I walk around and shout into a pillow for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> yes, this is the one time of the day that I'm allowed to be angry. <laughs> Hope you don't call at this time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So make that real for us. Is it just that when you're in a situation and that part of you starts to conduct that, we're just playing with anger. It could be anything else. But when the anger starts to bubble up and you just feel the lava emerging from, you know, from the depths of your belly and it's rising and rising and rising. And probably what M would normally do, what Mandy would, angry Mandy, tamp it down, tamp it down, tamp it down, tamp, keep smiling, like with a slightly maniacal smile on your face and push that shit right back down because it's not acceptable. So how do we safely let that stuff come up? Like, what's your process? I think there's a, there's a couple of things because there's a difference between dealing with angry M from my past is a time that has definitely been a part of my therapeutic and healing journey and actually really kind of giving that some airtime, genuinely, you know, having therapy in my diary. So there is that thing. But the key thing is, is like, I don't always want to be looking back. It's actually, how does it show up now? And for me, what I do rather than the, as you said, you know, that natural kind of, I'm going to push it down and I'm going to, you know, put it down and stuff. I kind of, I'm just trying to think about the last time that I was angry and it was about a week and a half ago and for, it was over something ridiculous that William hadn't picked up something for the ninth hundredth time from like whatever and I was I'd had loads of different things and I could feel myself getting really angry and I felt it and firstly and then I had this moment and I was like this is okay <laughs> and there's something about allowing myself to go this is okay and because it's anger, it's so new to me. I feel like I'm I'm about William's age when it comes down to anger. So I'm about eight or nine. I'm still trying to work out, is this okay? Is this allowed? And then I'm like, no, it's okay. And then when I felt it, I then said something in a tone that I don't normally say to my son, who I love dearly. 
And he heard it and he and I got the response that an eight-year-old would give to their mum when they're a bit angry. He went and he picked it up. And then I took a breath and then I was like, wow, okay. And I went through this and then I was like, do I feel bad? Was it over the top? Was it? And so I sat him down and he and I had a conversation and I just was like, I'm sorry, I think I was perhaps a little bit angry because I felt like you hadn't really heard. And so poor William, you know, he's going out with someone that's a coach and that is really conscious about language. So this eight-year-old boy is like, okay. So he quite often says to me, he's like, mom, is this the time that you're getting really serious and checking in on how I feel? And I'm like, yes, exactly. You know, and then poor kid, then I'm also a clown. So he gets to deal with all of that as well. And I just sort of said, look, I just felt really angry because it felt like you hadn't listened to me and I'd got to a point and I'm a bit tired And I'm a bit frustrated because actually I've asked you to do this a few times. But I'm sorry if my anger was a bit too intense for what was really you just not picking up your washing or whatever it was. And he went, no, you're right, mum. And I should have done that. And we had this kind of conversation. And what it's taught me, and I'm doing it imperfectly because we're all human and I'm really imperfect. But what it taught me was I didn't have to be ashamed of how I was feeling. I didn't have to suck it all down. I could demonstrate it and then I could reflect on it. And it's the allowing. And then once you do the allowing, for me, it's then like, wow, okay. So you allow, but then there's an impact. And so you you then have choice about how you then show up. And that adult self is the one who can clean up the impact. So it's safe because you've got you. Even if you're acting like a stroppy five-year-old or an eight-year-old who hasn't picked up their washing, even if that's you, that conversation you had with your son was equally for you. (laughs) Oh, completely. So you're not only modeling it for him, but it's, it's this trusting that we've got ourselves. And that's been a big piece for me too, is that this is allowed. I'm allowed to have these feelings. They're not wrong. Yeah. And that allowing piece, I think is, I think is so key. I think people can spend so long being consumed in doing their stuff and living but actually what they're really doing is they're existing and they're moving from one point to another. I'm talking about myself here, you know, pre a few years ago. It's like move from one point to another, be busy, do this, do that. Because actually what I'm not doing is I'm never actually just slowing stuff down enough so that I can allow myself to feel it. But the feeling bit I could sometimes do because I'd started doing the work, but it was then the, the vitriol I'd give myself and the shit I'd give myself for actually, yeah, yeah, but you're not, you shouldn't be feeling that because you should be sorted by now. You should da 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 And actually, it's the thing of like part of surely the part of living and moving towards feeling enough within yourself is about allowing us to be human with vulnerabilities and emotions and connections and disconnections and just being kind to ourselves. And for me, that's probably been the biggest journey. It's like changing the vitriolic, angry at self into being kind. And of course, I'm still going to mess up. I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still going to do things wrong. But the key thing is about being kind about that's okay, because actually it is okay when there's an acknowledgement and then I don't then want to beat myself up. This is a loving reminder that doing the work, even for a long time, does not get you off the hook of falling into getting frustrated, losing your shiz, beating yourself up, all of those things that are part of life, lifing, part of the human experience. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong in your personal development. It's quite the opposite. It's really about learning how to get back in integrity 
And we do that by cutting ourselves some slack when we've slid into old habits. It's part of the journey too. Part of the journey to wholeness is really learning how to love ourselves when we're least lovable. You talked earlier about the importance of play and lightness, and you are trained as a professional clown. I am. Let that be known to the world. Hear ye, yeah. hear ye. Stroud. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> M. Stroud is a professional clown. What role did levity and lightness and maybe even clowning play in your healing and even now as you're continuing to navigate these, I got angry, angry at myself and, you know, this, the kind of cleanup operation. I think it's for me, play has always been important to me, which is probably why I've, you know, always been an improviser. And I I was a clown when I was younger at uni and then I, I dropped it and I let that kind of part of me go until sort of two, three years ago. I think with play, when I really sort of think about what play means to me and how it helps me now, it's just a state. It's a place where I can go, where the rest of the world still carries on, but it's a place so that I can be in a different place. (laughs) And then when I go back to the rest of the world, it just feels a bit different. And what I mean by that is that, you know, for, for everybody, play is sort of, different things, isn't it? Play and being playful. You know, what being playful for you as Mandy is different to what being playful for me is. But it's about allowing ourselves to access that place where there's freedom and there's nothing is wrong. Because when we're kids, we all play. And I always sort of think about it as like, weirdly, I didn't get to play much as a kid. And so it doesn't really surprise me that I've sort of I feel like I'm living backwards. So I feel like, you know, I became an adult quite early on in my life because of my childhood. And now it's like, I just want more and more play because actually it feels so good. And I think for me, when I reconnected with clowning, and so, and clowning for me is very much the sort of the theatre clown. So the, not the, you know, not the scary circus, not the, not that clown. It's more the the clown hugs. Yeah, not yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not the scary, not the scary one, but the the sort of the sort of the the clowning that I understand is very much about being being observers and it's about kindness and it's about a lightness and we get to and we get to see and we get to tell the truth, which for many years I've been doing anyway. But as soon as I reconnected with clowning and and I reconnected with those bits of me and 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 I got to kind of explore it, somehow. And I'm not entirely sure how best to articulate that. But by allowing myself to play, it helped me connect back to those parts of me in my bus in certain ways, the younger selves that hadn't been allowed to play. And actually, when I now play, and I, I feel like I spend my whole life playing, right? You know, right, right now, this is apparently work. What we're doing, you and I right now, this is work, apparently. But I don't really view this as work. It's kind of play because this is a conversation, right? And... And I think for me with play, it's like, it doesn't mean that the world suddenly becomes less hard. It doesn't mean that the world suddenly becomes less challenging. But what it does is that it allows you to see both sides. There's a reason why we have the the drama mask, which is the tragedy and the comedy. They go hand in hand. But I think as humans and for myself, for a while when I was suicidal and stuff, all I was living was the tragedy. I was like, this is my journey. This has been my story. I had quite a tough upbringing and now I've had some tough other stuff and some bad things have gone wrong. Whereas that's true, but as much truth is the fact there's light. 
and there's joy and there's wonderment. And that's kind of what play does for me. It's remembering that we have the access to this filter or this different pair of shades that we can pull out of our pocket that have a different lens through which to see the same reality. And it's always accessible, but I think we forget about it, right? Because all of a sudden we're grown up and we have to be terribly serious. And and it ain't necessarily No, so. somewhere along the line, I think especially in Western culture, we, we got really caught up that in order to be successful, we had to be serious. And in order to be serious, we couldn't possibly bring a levity and a lightness and a fun to things because then we're not being serious. And actually, all of the science behind it is like the more joy, humor, light, play that we bring into all elements of our world, the more success, however you view that, you will have. But yet we're scared of doing that because I think, you know, if, if especially us Brits, if we said, right, you know, when do you play? Well, when I go to the pub on a Friday. And it's like, that's great. Go to the pub on a Friday. But when else do you play? And for a lot of adults, it's like, I don't have time for that. But somehow it's like, but we have a lot of time to work. So why do we not allow ourselves the same time to play? I'm all about multitasking too. It's what about looking at work with a playful lens that everything doesn't have to be so damn serious and heavy and such a joy suck. Because one of the things as I've discovered going around the spiral coming back to myself and my journey back to enough is that the beauty of arriving or there is no arriving actually it's because it's 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 constantly discovering and playing is that there's a sense of aliveness here like when we don't take ourselves so damn seriously and when we don't hold ourselves to impossible standards and when we stop shooting all over ourselves and we're not cranky with ourselves in the world i mean isn't this actually what we're all after to begin with like is more Fun just in the day to day, the the joy of an unexpected belly laugh, or you know, the, just the simple beauty of things. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to put on big red shoes, or you know, buy yourself some play doh. Although I did buy play doh recently, which was really fun. You can by all means do that, but it, it's what I'm hearing you say is it doesn't have to look like that for even for people who do identify as terribly serious. That it's simply. What if you looked at this from a different perspective? Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, it's it's the smallness. It's like, how do you find the joy in the normality of living, you know? And I think people put this like, again, it suddenly becomes the should, I should be doing more playful stuff. I should be being more mindful. I should be doing more exercise. I should be, it's like, oh my word, come on humans, it's all right. And it's like, actually, where's the, you know, in where are the moments where you just go, right, I'm just going to put the radio on and whatever song it is, I'm just going to dance around in between the Zoom meeting, you know, because no one's going to tell you not to. I mean, it, it it's like, you know, how can you find some joy and wonderment like with how you're hanging up your washing? Let's face it, hanging up your washing is one of the most boring things known to mankind, right? I, I hate it. I, I mean, honestly, it's like hanging up my washing, I'm like, oh, I've got to hang up the washing again. But, you know, and I caught myself when I was in Spain, this is pre-COVID, and suddenly hanging out the washing because I was in the oranges, not in the orange, there were orange trees. I wasn't actually in an orange. That would be weird. But I was hanging stuff up because it was in the sunshine. It was like, ah, and there was, and I was reveling in this simple act because everything else had calmed down and I was on holiday and it was all like, ah, oh, this is really useful. And I suddenly was smiling. And then I caught myself back here, you know, back in London. And I suddenly was like, another load of washing, boring. Like, well, how does my child wear so many clothes? I don't know. 
And then I just caught myself and I was like, oh, you could make this really fun and you could do something with it. So, you know, there's loads of different games. And so suddenly I was like playing the Mission Impossible music in my head. So when I say playing, obviously I was singing it. So I was like, and as I was putting up the ninth pair of football socks, suddenly it was like, and I was like running out of time, but no one else was there. But suddenly I was like, and I was like, quick, and I was doing washing will self-destruct in the next 60 seconds. Exactly, exactly. It was something like, oh no, the Chelsea Sox will literally be imploding. And, and then I sort of stopped and I smiled and I just, and I was like, oh my God, that's ridiculous what I've just done. And I just, but actually it made something that is so boring suddenly become a little bit more fun. And it's just, and that's what I mean. It's, it's, it's allowing the lightness. It's allowing that the humanness, because that is as true as the fact that doing washing is boring. But yet normally, and, I, and I'm guilty of this, you know, and I profess to play all the time. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, you can do it over just even that simple stuff. One of the things I ask all of my guests to share is a brick of wisdom. So, so we're all on this journey to enough. We're all on this journey coming back to our wholeness that, spoiler alert, has been there all along. It could be a phrase. It could be a single word. And I'm wondering what brick you would lay on this journey to enough. If it were a phrase or a word, what would it be? It has to be what my first tattoo was. And, well, still is, because tattoos don't go unless you go and get them laser treated. <laughs> oh, there you were. You set it up so beautifully and profound, and now I've just made it. So my first tattoo, there you were. Mandy's laid it. We're all listening, and I'm like, ah. And the first tattoo that I got were three really simple words, and it's, this will change. And that really was the bedrock for so much of my life and my acceptance that stuff really does change. And, you know, this came from me when I did um, Vipassana. So I did the 10-day silent meditation retreat. And it was part of a story that I heard there. I know, because you get to watch a video. So, you know, that's, that's, where you, that, that, that's where the knowledge comes from. And for me, just really acknowledging that those moments of complete joy and wonderment and success and happiness will also change just as quickly as the worst feelings and everything like that, because we are always in perpetual motion. Stuff is always changing. You know, one of the main things that I really took from doing Vipassana was like, you know, your body is always doing stuff that because we're living, we don't normally slow down enough to feel that there's all these different sensations going on and cells are doing all of their stuff. But on a sort of lighter way in terms of working out that we are enough, it's always, everything always has to evolve because that's what we do. That is life. That is nature. That is rhythms. That is at the heart of all of us that are lucky enough to be alive. And I think sometimes when we're seeking how we can be our best version of ourselves. Sometimes even within that, we can get really worthy. And it can be like, oh, I've got to, you know, I'm doing my self-development stuff and it's really important. And it is. But even with that sense of worthiness, sometimes it then becomes too heavy. And for me, the brick that I would lay would always be that this will change. So that very moment, that's the only moment that you have any control over. And in two days, something that did seem really important two months ago probably isn't that important. And we are constantly evolving and changing. So it's allowed me, having that phrase on my arm, 
that I look at on quite a regular basis just allows me just to remember that even when I think something is really, really brilliant or really, really shit, it will move and it will change. And as a result, it helps me keep a lightness about my day to day. That just reminded me as you were talking, which is so beautiful. It reminded me like having some kind of a reflective surface whether it's a lake or a puddle or mirrors and and things can pass in it. You know, it looks like reality in that moment, but it's constantly passing and the reflection changes. And this is one thing I aspire to be is to be more of a, in that state that I know it's just a reflection of what's I'm experiencing in this moment, whether it's a sunny day or a gray day or a mood or my one o'clock anger appointment or whatever it might be. And this will pass and this will change. And what's the constant there is me being the perceiver of it. Wow, that's getting super deep at the end of the episode. I mean, that's got so deep. And you just use the word perceiver, which I'm like, good word. Good word. Good word. I've got to use my PhD somewhere. I mean, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to say anything. (laughs) Hi, guys, in case you haven't recognized, she's got a PhD. So she knows like really big grown up words, but she's talking to a clown. So it's all a bit like, huh? Perceiver? Good word. How can people find out more about the movement that you're creating around playfulness and just hang out with you and bask in more M Stroudness? So they can go to laughthinkplay.com and subscribe there. I send out a little newsletter every week with ideas to help you laugh and to think and to play. And that would be splendid. Also, I've got a podcast, which is called Clowning Around. So if you go on any of the places, Clowning Around podcast, me, M. Stroud. And I get to chat to loads of different people from every different world. Like this week, we had uh, Clowning Around working class comedy with Tom Mayhew and to Clowning Around technology. So, And there's 70 episodes there. So there'll be a subject matter that you will be interested in. So those two places. And then, you know, you can find me on Insta on Mstrad London. So if you put my name in, I pop up. And also, you know, if you if you kind of want to watch a TED talk with me dress up as a banana, then just do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Definitely check out the podcast and the banana show. That is so they'll just look up Ted Ted and then we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put in that's probably the best thing to do. Okay. It's yeah, you can really, do that. really you've got fun. PhD. You know I got that, a PhD yeah. and I have people who are Yeah, she knows how to do show notes, people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for playing. This was super fun. Thanks for having me. If you got some goodies from today's episode, I would be so grateful if you would hop skippity jump to iTunes to do your random act of kindness today and leave the Enough Podcast a review. It really does help a new show to get legs. So thank you in advance for doing that. In next week's episode, we have Farzana Nasser, who is a functional medicine expert and nutritional therapist who helps us to get really practical on how we can improve our sleep, feel less fried, and tonify our nervous system, which is super important if you are somebody who's always on and teetering on the brink of burnout. Here's a preview of what's coming next time. But taking you back to what you used to be is what caused the issue in the first place. So it's trying to break that cycle and not push and be kind to yourself as well, right? Yeah, yeah. And I found that actually the hardest piece. Like it was much easier to heal gut dysfunction and all of those things because there was a 10-step plan how to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, you get almost like a, a... bullet pointed list, do these things, don't do these things, but shifting that last piece of learning how to coexist with with your body, because actually we've got nowhere else to live. 
As ever, thank you so much for playing with us today. I want to give a quick pom-pom shake to Tommy Andrews of the SoundSpring podcast, who has composed the rad intro and outro music just for this show. Check him out. Thank you so much for playing with us. This is Mandy Leto signing out for Enough, the podcast. <laughs>